the Crusades have become one of the most dynamic areas of historical enquiry, which points to an increasing curiosity to understand and interpret these extraordinary events, such as what persuaded people in the Christian West to want to recapture Jerusalem. What impact did the success of the First Crusade in 1099 have on the Muslim, Christian and Jewish communities of the Eastern Mediterranean? What was the effect of the Crusading on the people and institutes of Western Europe? How did these people record the Crusades? And finally, what was their legacy? Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark History Podcast. Hope everybody is well. I'm Rob, your host as always. Episode 5. Wow. This season is moving fast. Episode 5 and probably 6 will be about the Crusades. It's far too vast a topic for just one episode. And nobody wants to listen to me drone on for hours in one sitting. I did speak briefly about the Crusades in episode 1, but as I said I feel it needed its own more in-depth episode, or episodes. As we know, this was a time of around 200 years where religions were at loggerheads over the Holy Land. These differences would lead to some bloody wars and terrible acts of humanity. So without further ado, please sit back and relax for more Dark History. The First Crusade started from France in 1095. In order to remain in the good graces of the Crusaders, French Jews supplied funds and food for the journey. However, the first casualties of the Holy War wouldn't be Muslim or Christian, they would be Jewish. When some of the Crusaders reached Germany, the mood had drastically changed. Among many Crusaders, the feeling grew rapidly that before they attacked the heathens in the far-off Palestine, there were infidels much closer to home with whom they should contend. In May 1096, in a period of four weeks, frenzied bands of crusaders struck the Jewish communities of Sprayer, Worms, Mainz and Cologne. The Jews were offered the option of converting to Christianity or death. The vast majority chose the path of Kadosh Hashem, the sanctification of God's name, Rather than submit to the forced conversions, in many cases, Jews killed their families, and then themselves. Estimates of the tolls taken on the Jewish communities range from 3,000 to 10,000 deaths. Undaunted and unstoppable, the Crusaders continued. They would conquer Eretz in Israel, reaching Jerusalem in 1099. The lead units of the First Crusade Army reached the inland roads of Jerusalem in early June 1099. It had been an exhausting and miraculous journey. Famine, desertion, disease and the battlefield had drained the army of 80% of its manpower. The veterans of this campaign had liberated the ancient Christian cities of Nicaea, suffered through the Anatolian Death March and fought in the Great Siege and Battle of Antioch. They were exhausted and short of supplies, but in high spirits as the goals of their rammed pilgrimage, pilgrimage in inverted commas, was finally within reach. They arrived at the walls of the Holy City on June 7th 
and prepared for a siege they knew would not be easy. Despite the lack of proper siege equipment, the army launched a general attack on June 13. They were unable to surmount the inner ramparts and after heavy losses they were forced to retreat. After a priest claimed a vision of the papal legate Bishop Adherma, the crusaders in early July fasted for three days, marched barefoot and unarmed penance around the city, sang prayers and carried relics. Pointed by these spiritual practices, the Christians attacked Jerusalem in a final assault on Friday, July the 15th, which was the feast of the dispersal of the apostles, and at three o'clock in the afternoon, the hour of the crucifixion, they entered the holy city. Jerusalem was once again in Christian hands. Once inside of Jerusalem, the crusaders went on a rampage and killed many Muslim troops as well as non-combatants. The killings were well known because both Islamic and Christian chroniclers recorded it, although there are discrepancies among the various accounts. For example, some claim that the massacre went on for several days, while others say that it occurred in the first day only. The Christian sources do not agree on how many were killed. The numbers range from several hundred to ten thousand. Some Islamic sources provide wildly inflated numbers, claiming upwards of 75,000 were killed, but the city's entire population was between 20,000 and 30,000. It's probable that anywhere from several hundred to 3,000 were slain by the Crusaders. Nevertheless, a strange amount of deaths for a pilgrimage. The Jewish population also suffered at the hands of God's people. They gathered all the Jews of Jerusalem into the central synagogue and set it afire. Other Jews, who had climbed on the roof of the Al-Kasha Mosque on the Temple Mount, were caught and beheaded. The crusader leader, Godfrey of Bouillon, wrote to the Pope, If you want to know what we have done with the enemies found in Jerusalem, our people had their vile blood up to the knees of their horses. After this victory, the crusaders retained control of Jerusalem for close to 100 years. The Second Crusade started in 1145 and lasted until 1149. The Crusade was the second major crusade launched from Europe. This was kicked off in the response to the fall of the county of Edessa in 1144 to the forces of Zengi. The county had been founded during the First Crusade by King Baldwin I of Jerusalem in 1098. While it was the First Crusade estate to be founded, it was also the first to fall. Other states had been created in the Levant at the end of the First Crusade, with the fourth being added in a minor crusade under Raymond IV of Toulouse. Jerusalem had extended its borders, and the cities of Sidon and Tyre had been captured by other minor crusades. Numerous invasion attempts by Muslims occurred, but were all forced back. It was in this chaotic period between crusades that the Knights Templar were formed. These knights were tasked with keeping pilgrims safe during their pilgrimage to the Holy Land. 
the county of Edessa, was one of the first of the three states settled after the First Crusade. At the northernmost point of the kingdom, Edessa bordered the Turkic states ruled by the noble Ahmed Adin Zangi of Mosul. Mix this with the fact that Edessa lacked the natural defences the other states possessed, and you have one very vulnerable state. The impending threat of the Turkic states forced Jocelyn of Edessa to form an alliance with smaller Muslim powers. Unfortunately, things became worse for Jocelyn and Edessa when King Flung of Jerusalem and the Byzantine Emperor John Komnemnos died in 1143, leaving the state with no Christian allies. Seizing the opportunity, Zengi attacked Jocelyn's allies in 1144, in turn drawing out the leader and his army. Edessa was left relatively undefended, leaving Zengi the perfect opportunity to capture the city. The news of the fall of Edessa was brought back to Europe first by pilgrims early in 1145. Pope Eugene III announced a second crusade, commanding Louis VII of France and Conrad III of Germany, with help from a number of European nobles. The Germans at the time were more worried about pagans on their own borders, namely the Wends. The Pope sanctioned a second crusade called the Northern Crusades, which would continue until the 13th century. The armies of King Louis travelled by land across Europe, while the other forces travelled by sea. Poor Weather denied the second force passage to the Holy Land, instead forcing them to dock in Portugal, and help the Portuguese with their reconquista, successfully conquering Lisbon in mid-1147. Meanwhile, in Anatolia, Conrad III had tried to push into the Holy Land before King Louis had arrived. Conrad's army suffered heavy losses at the Second Battle of Duralium while fighting the Seljuk Turks. After this disaster, Conrad chose to wait for Louis to arrive before continuing. Together, they reached the Levant to find that Zengi had been killed in 1146. The city of Edessa had been put to the torch, and all of its inhabitants had been massacred by Zengi's son, Nur ad-Din. On hearing this, the Crusaders held a conference with the Knights Templar to formulate the best course of action moving forward. Baldwin III of Jerusalem would persuade the Crusaders to attack Damascus. Setting off in 1148, they laid siege to the city. However, the ruler of Damascus, Mohanad, pleaded with help from Nur ad-Din, which he duly obliged by sending a large army to Damascus to fight the Crusaders. The sight of this large army, distrust between the leaders and reports of bribery, the Crusaders abandoned the siege after just four days. This would end the Second Crusade in abject failure for the Christians. For Nur ad-Din, it allowed him to expand his empire and take Damascus in 1154. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted.
Now, we're on to the Third Crusade, and this one's a little bit of a minefield because there's a lot going on. We start pretty much at the end of the Second Crusade. Nur ad-Din is sat pretty in Damascus, admiring his empire, including Edessa. And the Crusaders, well, they're pretty much where they were, apart from the loss of Edessa and needing to lick their wounds. To the south, in Egypt, there is turmoil. The power of the Fatimid dynasty lay with the vizier and not with the caliph, meaning the position of vizier was highly contested. In the 1160s, two rivals came to the forefront, Durgum and Shawa. In 1163, Durgum ousted Shawa, but Shawa asked for the assistance of Nur ad-Din, which he duly obliged, sending his forces under the Kurdish general Shirka. Durgum was killed, and Shawa was reinstated as vizier. But Shawa enlisted the help of the Crusaders to oust Shirka. I know, this is all very confusing, but it does have a point. Anyway, Shirka's forces defeated the Crusaders at the Battle of Harim. The fight for power continued until 1169 when Nur ad-Din's army captured Cairo and executed Shawa. General Shirka was appointed vizier, but he soon died, being replaced by the infamous Saladin. After consolidating his power, Saladin became caliph after the death of his predecessor in 1171. This made Saladin the sole leader of Egypt. His first act was to take Damascus after the death of Nur ad-Din in 1174, and for the next decade he would expand his empire across the Middle East. While Saladin was laying waste to the Middle East, his relationship with the Crusaders was somewhat amicable, apart from a few skirmishes. He only turned his attention to Jerusalem in 1187 after the Crusaders violated their agreement by capturing a Muslim caravan. Saladin's 30,000 strong army decimated the Crusaders at the Battle of Hattin in July, and they took the city of Acre, Askrin, Beirut, Jaffa, and most importantly, Jerusalem. The new Pope, Gregory VIII, hearing of the fall of Jerusalem to Saladin, interpreted the capture of Jerusalem as a punishment for the sins of Christians across Europe. He called for a new crusade to the Holy Land, the European kings were very slow in gathering funds and men for the cause until the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick Barbarossa, set off in an arduous journey to the Middle East, reaching Anatolia by 1190 and defeating the Seljuks at the Battle of Iconium. Unfortunately, that would be the last great thing that he did as he drowned in a river in June of 1190 and only a fraction of his large army continued to Accra. While Frederick was failing to swim, Richard the Lionheart and Philip II of France were travelling by sea to the Holy Land. In Great Crusader tradition, they stopped off in Sicily to rescue Richard's sister from the new king. Of course, like previous Crusades, it wouldn't be a short trip to Sicily, as they were forced to crush a rebellion caused by their presence. By 1191, they left Sicily, but lost some of their ships near to Cyprus. These were then looted by the Byzantine ruler of Cyprus, Isaac Komnemnos, who had close ties to Saladin. So in early May, 
1191, Richard the Lionheart, being Richard the Lionheart, landed on Cyprus and conquered it in a month. From his new base, they finally reached the Holy Land in mid-1191, a whole four years after Jerusalem fell. After meeting up with their fellow crusaders, they joined in the besieging of Acre, that had been going on since August 1189. When the city finally fell, Richard I wanted to exchange his large numbers of Muslim prisoners from the city for the True Cross. For those of you who didn't know, like myself, the True Cross is allegedly a part of the cross that Jesus was crucified on. It had been in Saladin's possession since the Battle of Hattin in 1187. As well as the True Cross, he demanded 100,000 gold pieces and 1,600 Christians held captive by Saladin. A deal was struck and the deadline set for Saladin to fulfil his part of the deal. Unfortunately, distrust between the two leaders developed and a breakdown of negotiations ensued. Each side demanded that their opponent's hostages be released first. After the agreed time limit for the Saracens to hand over the cross had expired, Richard, increasingly under the impression that Saladin was stalling, decided to have his hostages publicly executed. On the 16th of August, Richard ordered all the prisoners from Acre should be taken to a small hill called Ayade. He ordered 2,700 Turkish hostages to be led bound out of the city to be beheaded. Parts of the Ayyubid army became so enraged by the killings that they attempted to charge the Crusaders' lines but were reportedly beaten back, allowing Richard I and his forces to retire in good order. After infighting, Philip II of France and Leopold V of Austria left. Just before they left, they gave a great deal of money to their mutual cousin Conrad of Montferrat, so he could bankroll his claim to the Jerusalem throne. Unfettered, Richard set off for Jaffa in late August of 1191. Saladin tried to stop the march at the Battle of Asif, but the Crusaders emerged victorious, with Saladin withdrawing to Jerusalem. After taking Jaffa, Richard set his sights on Jerusalem. He was forced to withdraw though, without even a skirmish due to poor weather and supply line issues. Instead, he would settle for the city of Ascalon, all while trying to sue for peace with Saladin. By this point, Richard I had been away from the throne of England for a long time. His brother John was staking a claim for the throne. We will look at King John in an episode soon, but just for now, he was the worst king of England and was a cowardly little c**t. Anyway, back to the story. Guy of Lusignan, who was a great ally of Richard, had been deposed as King of Jerusalem by Conrad of Montferrat. As this story has more twists and turns than a Helder Skelter, Conrad was assassinated by persons unknown before he was even crowned. Regardless, Richard advanced to Jerusalem one final time in mid-1192, but yet again had to withdraw with no fighting, this time 
because of him fighting amongst his leaders. Instead, he took Beirut before returning home. Then, Jaffa was taken by Saladin, Richard turned around and retook the city again, and both sides agreed to peace. Thank God for that. But wait, there's more. Richard was arrested in Austria by King Leopold for the murder of his cousin, but he was released after a very, very hefty ransom was paid. So hefty was it, that it almost bankrupted the Kingdom of England. Richard would return home and rule England until his death in 1199, and Saladin died not long after peace was declared. His empire was then divided up between his sons. Wow, that had some twists and turns, and that was only three of the Crusades. I can make episode six about the Crusades again if you wish, but if not, I can leave it for a couple of episodes. Let me know what you think. I will be doing, I suppose, a little mini-series on the British Empire very soon. Lord knows this will be over a couple of episodes. But, I'm thinking of breaking each episode into different parts of the world. So, for example, episode 1 will be Asia, episode 2 will be Africa, and so on and so forth. Today's episode was a little bit shorter from recent episodes, but that is only because I needed to find a place to cut it. After the explanation of the Third Crusade, my head hurt, and I don't know about yours, so I thought that would be a good point. Anyway, if you liked the episode, please drop us a review. It helps the podcast out. If you think the friends and family may like it, then share it with them. Links to TikTok, YouTube, Insta, the show email, and Twitter are below. If you've been listening for a while and not subscribed, please do that. That way you never miss an episode. So with all that out of the way, please join me for episode 6. And more Dark History. <laughs>